Quarter Rest with Jody Echo is available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Overcast, and just about anywhere else you might listen to podcasts. Our website is quarterrestpodcast.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter. The handle is at Podcast Rest or on Facebook at facebook.com slash quarterrestpodcast. If you want to get in touch, feel free to email quarterrestpodcast at gmail.com. Keep it civil, and I'll probably respond. The following audio presentation has been classified as humoristic, irreverent, and celebratory of the arts. Listener discretion is advised. Director of my heart. Hi, and welcome back to Quarter Rest. This week, I interviewed Alex McNeil. Alex is a friend of mine. He's also a very good guitar player and singer-songwriter. And I wanted to catch up with him to see what was going on with his project, Alexander and the Great Ones. That's his band. We're listening to them right now. You know what? I'm going to just shut up and let you listen. I'll catch up with you when the interview starts. Toodles. Oh, director of my heart, darling of the silver screen. Our love is never overlit, and the lens is caked in Vaseline. But show me coming home so lovely in the third act of the day. Strings trill and you kiss me All our problems fade away Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you very much, Joe. It's good to hear your voice. Uh, and it was good to hear your voice uh, two weeks ago when we st- uh, started talking about doing this together. Yeah, we've been having, we've we've been kind of running past each other these last couple weeks. Yeah. We've had to postpone a couple of times. So I'm really happy that we're finally making this happen. I'm really happy that it's happening too. It's uh, 
uh, it's been a pretty crazy time with, uh, you know, uh, Nova Scotia uh, has c- pretty much eradicated COVID-19 uh, uh, now. It, and it seems like it wasn't. It seems like it hasn't been too bad out in the Maritimes. It hasn't, but now I I believe we have no active cases in the province now. That's great. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I've been back to some of my day job stuff and uh, finding the time to do this is really awesome. I've been, you know, uh, spending a lot of the the last couple months, you know, writing some songs and uh, really thinking hard about what I want out of music these days. All right. Yeah, we're going to get into that for sure. Um, let's just start at the beginning, Alex. Can okay. you can you uh, walk me through? I mean, I kind of already know a little bit about this, but for the audience, can you tell me a little bit about your musical background? Like how how this came to be? Who is Alex McNeil and where does he come from? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I don't. It's very interesting. I think I've rewritten this like history of my life and the history of <laughs> my relationship with music so many times, uh, you know, that I, I don't think there is a real one anymore. But if I was to give you what I... The fake one is, is certainly accepted. What I, if I was to tell you what I think the origins of music for me are now, um, you know, I grew up with a family that's obsessed with uh, music or, eh, you know... Uh, and politics at the same time. Uh, so we talk constantly or we're singing. Uh, the only thing we don't do is shut our mouths for a moment. Uh, and so... Sounds like my family too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music was a big part of growing up for me. Uh, I have three older sisters and they all play instruments very well. And, um, you know, I grew up uh, thinking that the best thing that you could possibly be, the most venerated thing in my family were artists and so uh being so much younger than uh the rest of my family i grew up thinking that the greatest thing i could aspire to be was an artist and so you were the baby oh yeah by like a lot so i was six years younger than my uh youngest sibling so 10 years younger than my oldest um yeah and so they were all good musicians um, I also was very lucky. I, uh, you know, I live, uh, well, I was born pretty close to where the ferry docks in PEI. And there was this really good oldie station there called good time oldies. And I went to bed listening to good time oldies every night when I was a kid. And I learned so much music from doing that, that like, now is starting to really inform what, uh, you know, uh, what I play and what I do much more than it did 10 years ago. So I've been kind of reaching back into like my musical past and trying to find things that, uh, really like sparked my ear when I was a kid. Are there any particular songs or, or singers or artists that stand out from that era? Um, right now I'm pretty obsessed with the zombies um, especially, uh, or, uh, Odyssey and Oracle, I think is the name of the record. Yeah. I've been listening to that real a lot lately. Uh, uh, care of cell 44 and time of the season. Um, yeah. Uh, roses for Emily. I really love a lot of the 60s psychedelia that I listened to when I was a kid. 
So were they a psychedelic group or were they more of a garage garage rock? They start as a mod group. Okay. Like pretty... And then move to psychedelia? And it moves to psychedelia in a way that's like... It's really hard. You know, they're so... Like, the songs are super well-crafted, so they don't have that, like psychedelic kind of they could fall apart at any moment feeling but the types of sounds that they were using were very much influenced by like psychedelic music proper do they have like the organ like you have in uh like the doors or uh like whatever the band was that did legata da vida uh iron butterfly yeah iron butterfly um That, that, that that organ was like a big part of that sound there's some good organ licks. There's lots of Mellotron, that kind of, oh yeah, okay, uh, that kind of feeling, and um, there's lots of really cool harmonies. But they maintain that kind of like mod composure through it, which I find really interesting. Um, mm. I've been listening to the Zombies a lot. I've been listening to like Revolver on repeat lately. I find and the White Album. Um, yeah, and then of course I've been, you know. Listening to seventy Steely Dan quite a bit lately. Any album? Any album in particular? Um, Countdown to Ecstasy. I, I'm all about. I'm all about Pretzel Logic. Oh, Have you given cool. that one a go? No, but somebody was talking to me about that uh, the other day. That's a classic. You got to listen to to Pretzel Logic. That's a really good one. I will. I'm going to check that out. I. Um, You've probably heard the song "Ricky Don't Lose That Number." Oh, of course. Yeah, that was the next single after the song that I'm really obsessed with, which is "My Old School." Okay, I actually don't know that one. Oh, it, uh, that's a bop, like a hard bop. I love it. Yeah, Pretzel Logic is is um, a little bit less less of the kind of smooth jazz almost sound that they had later on like Asia, um, which I don't like as much. It's, to me, I, I don't know. The peak of Steely Dan for me is, is pretzel logic. But Yeah, people who love Asia like want that kind of like Michael McDonald singing backup vocals, very clean production that like uh, they were into at that time. My partner hates that. I can't put Asia on at any point in the day without uh, arising their ire. <laughs> um, and I understand why. Yeah, it's too, I mean, it sounds like soft porn music. I mean, it just. It's aggressively it clean. That, it's aggressively clean, yeah. There's a little more grit on uh, on Pretzel Logic, so yeah, and I I, don't know. I I need that grit a little bit. I'm really into very smushy sounds lately, and uh, you know, much more like, especially in the drum kit. You know, I love it when uh, I don't feel the separation in the kit as much as you. That's what I just start stop liking the sounds of drums. Uh, is uh, you know, in the '80s when I feel like they're Miking up all the toms individually. Mm. I, 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 and they do, and they do like a tom fill, and you can hear it like panning from one uh, channel to the other. Oof, it's rough. Now there is a there is an exception to that. I love the the sound of the drums on "So" by Peter Gabriel. That's some of the my favorite drum sounds. I know that's pretty weird, but uh, for some reason, the drums on "Red Rain" get me every time. Uh. So do you like the gated, that 80s gated sound? Not usually, but something about Gabriel's like 
production concept for the drums on that record works for me. I like I like Peter Gabriel a lot. I think he played with a lot of sounds that I don't necessarily like, but made them so that I did like them. Yes, I find them much more palatable when he does it. Or, you know, Kate Bush is the same. Kate Bush, um, because she, like, the, the harmonic and form adventures that Kate Bush really, like, goes on, like, kind of blow my mind. Um, I find her even better than Peter Gabriel, but I like them both. Yeah, that's fair. And I, I, I also like uh, I like Peter Gabriel in uh, in Genesis, I think. I think they had some good records in the early earlier part of the 70s. You know, I don't think I know a single Genesis song. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're uh, I think they've got some stuff that's worth checking out. They had I will. I'll a lot of fun out. with they had a lot of fun with like Britishness. There's a lot of like Britishness in their music, like, especially the early couple records. Like the Kinks then? They're having fun with No, like no like like uh like having like kind of making fun of Britishness. Well, that's what I think of with the Kinks too. Like, uh, true. Uh, um, you know, uh, Village Green Preservation Society and all that stuff is, uh, uh, you know, poking fun at like the old fuddy-duddy, like holding on to Victorian and Edwardian values kind of thing. Yeah. So I I think it's it's a little bit the same with with uh, oh, some cool. of the early Genesis stuff. So you are, uh, you're a Nova Scotia native. I am. Um, you know, this is, I have not, I'm a Nova Scotia native, but I haven't really been back to Nova Scotia until about like two and a half years ago. And this is the longest I've been in one place in my 20s. So where were you, uh, in the in-between period there? Well, I went to Bishop's University with you and we lived across the hall from one another. For a year. Yeah. Yep. And, I remember uh, that. and then, uh, in second year, I went to Rhodes university for a bit in South Africa and I enjoyed that very much and got to like learn a lot about free jazz and learn a lot about, uh, uh, some of the, uh, incredible African music, um, uh, went to the standard bank jazz festival in Grahamstown, as well as the Cape town jazz festival and took in a lot of. Uh, the acts that were popular there, as well as some of like my favorite jazz acts ever. I got to see Charles Lloyd there and Jason Moran, and uh, hmm. it was amazing. Uh, it was really. And you were a jazz. You were a jazz guy at this point. Oh my God! All I I lived, breathed, ate jazz. I gave up everything that I thought sounded good before I heard the first note of. Uh, uh, I think it was. Uh, working with the Miles. Davis Quintet, which was the first jazz record I ever bought with my money that I saved up in high school. And it blew my mind so much. I thought I would never listen to any other music the same way ever again. I think jazz tends to have that effect on people. There's something about it. Like people just get addicted. Either they hate it, you know, or they're, or they're kind of lukewarm to it or cold to it. But like when people get the bug it has that effect on people it's like i can't listen to anything else anymore i think it's it has everything to do with form and um like when you listen to pop music um you're used to you know simple form structures and a lot of recapitulation but you do not get that in jazz and the minute that you kind of free yourself from that it's so so exciting and exhilarating but now i've kind of come Mm. back to a love of repetition 
And uh, mm-hmm. it makes it harder for me to listen to those records the same way I did when I was 20. Yeah, that's interesting, kind of coming full circle. Yeah, very much so. So now I kind of think like I did when I played jazz, but I don't because, um, you know, I, I really want to write good three minute and 30 second long songs. So I have to think about that a lot. Um, I was showing some new songs to some uh, friends who play a lot of pop music the other day and they were like, we got to get the jazz out of you because I, I still have that kind of immature uh, quality of wanting to uh, do something exciting or outside of my comfort zone harmonically all the time. Like uh, the most uh, difficult sound for me is the one that I'm most drawn to. And I'm trying to curb that a little bit so that, you know, uh, uh, you know, I choose the right sound, not the most different one. Hmm. Is that, is, so that's difficult. It's yeah. difficult to curb that, that impulse. The itch to be hip is really hard not to scratch, you know? You want to yeah. like do the the coolest move possible, not right. uh, not the most sonorous one. And um, you know, I, I try to balance that. By the time I get to a studio, I'm like thinking, okay, well, does this actually work, or do I just think it's cool because I made a bridge that has like alternating bars of ten and eleven eight work like the Beatles did. You know, I have to like think about that. <laughs> See the Beatles weren't weren't just doing what sounded weird. The Beatles were unusually gifted songwriters and they made that stuff work. Yeah, it's not just weird, it's also good. And like if you can give somebody something that's challenging but also like really approachable. That's what like that's what hooks my ears now, and I think it's what hooks a lot of people's ears. That I think it's the same for me. I like a song that, uh, or 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 any, you know, not just in in pop music, but in general. But especially, this is kind of what I look for in in rock music or rock adjacent styles. Is something that's hooky and catchy. But has a few little kinks, a few little, a few little things that are a little bit out, but not too much. Just yeah. so that it kind of grabs your attention and gives the song like its signature. Absolutely, you know I mean? that's why they call it like depth. You know, the the name depth is a very apt description because rather than it being something that occurs horizontally, where you get new and more exciting flavors, the you could something that's deep is uh you know can be enjoyed uh on the surface level but over the same amount of time you could enjoy the more complex flavors that kind of color it in the background does that make any sense what i just said it makes pretty good sense to me yeah it's like it's rewarding on the first listen but it 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 rewards you even more with repeat listen absolutely if uh uh you know that that feeling of wanting something that's like off-putting at first and then lovable, like listening to like Schoenberg or Webern or anything like that, which would like, uh, you know, your body has like a visceral reaction to like the difficulty of like non-repetition or like difficult sounds when you first listen to it. And then you might kind of like 
warm up to it isn't something I'm as interested in as I used to be. I like something that feels beautiful at first and then I can get into the complexities of it. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's like one chord or one little feature that's just, oh, it's not what I expected, but it's so much better than what I expected. That's the, that's the feeling that makes you listen to a song on repeat. Exactly, exactly. As opposed to you hear it once and it's like, okay, next song, disposable. So you were talking a minute ago about new tunes. I want to play some old tunes of yours. Oh, I'd like cool. to I'd like us to listen to some of your uh some of your some of your greatest hits. <laughs> but is there anything new that you could play? Yeah. Anything and is there anything prepared? Uh well, um I do you want a whole song or do you want like a, um, what are you thinking? It's up to you, man. Whatever you're, whatever's ready and under your fingers. Well, I was thinking I would prepare some particular songs for you at a later date and we can splice them in here. Disclaimer. What you are about to experience is an illusion. Though the instruments and the music sound as if they are happening simultaneously, they are not. Instead, they were recorded separately sonically enhanced and fit together for your listening pleasure. Using EQ, compression, and reverb, these recordings might trick your ears into believing that this was an actual event, but it isn't. Thank you for listening. The warmth of your love is like the warmth of the sun this will be a year, took a long time to come Don't let go of my hand, now the darkness has gone This will be a year, took a long time to come And I won't forget the way you held me up when I was down I won't forget the way you said Darling, I love you Well, you gave me faith to go on Now we're there And we only just begun This will be a year Took a long time to come The warmth of your smile Smile for me, little one Well, this will be it took a long time to come And I won't forget the way you held me up when I was down And I won't forget the way you said Darling, I love you, well, you gave me faith to go on Now we're there, and we only just begun This will be a long time to come <laughs> all right man yeah if you want to if you want to get something prepared and uh and we could splice it in that is totally cool by me cool yeah we could do that why don't we then i want to play the first song from your 2019 record super turbo yeah, they the um Super Turbo was a record at the time I was listening to a lot of uh uh you know uh early 50s uh kind of girl groupy uh numbers and some uh, 
you know, Phil Spector recordings and as well as uh, like kind of 80s does 50s nostalgia like Nick Lowe is a I'm a huge fan of Nick Lowe. Uh, he's one of my favorite songwriters of all time. And uh, so I decided I would write something. Most of the music on there is kind of um, like nis- like uh, nostalgia with a twist. Um, so you wanted mm-hmm. to, you wanted to do long broad back, was it? Let's do it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I can hear what you're what you're talking about with that song. Um, when did you write this one? 
Um, I wrote that one in Montreal uh, when I was living on St. Antoine West, uh, just by the Atwater, Atwater Market. And I wrote it after um, kind of a big be- breakup in my life that happened in Newfoundland. And I wanted to write something, kind of a, a song that was about, uh, you know, even a, a relationship that wasn't necessarily uh, good for either party, but trying to be... Mm-hmm. Uh, very forgiving and uh, open to the idea of uh, reconnecting uh, and trying to be as receptive as I possibly could rather than kind of proud uh, in its ending. And what does the what does the title refer to? Long, broad back. Well, I, um, bas- you know, I, I'm 30 years old now. When I wrote that song, I was probably 27. Mm-hmm. I was a 27-year-old that was 135 pounds. And uh, so I was a very skinny and, um, you know, uh, gangly person most of my life. Uh, I filled out a little bit since then. But um, it was kind of an ironic title about, uh, you know, uh, being tough, even though I obviously do not possess the thing uh, literally that I've named, which is uh, a long and broad back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little bit of self-deprecating humor, kind of. Uh, absolutely. If um, if you've ever seen the um, the the single art from it, it's a picture of my back from that time, uh, like a a portrait yep. of my back from that time. And uh, I have seen it. Uh, I think anyone seeing that piece of artwork kind of immediately gets the joke. So the influences here. Early fifties stuff, eighties pub rock. Yeah, very much Anything so. Else? Coked out Motown is kind of what we were going for. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we talked about in the in pre pro sessions with uh, the the lovely producer on it was a man named Dale Murray. Um, who, okay. Uh, played in a lot of really great bands like the Guthries and uh, uh, played guitar for Hayden for a long time and. Uh, uh, now plays with his wonderful wife, Christina Martin. And I go out there and, you know, uh, Dale and I have almost exact taste in music uh, for the most part. Like we love our favorite records are all the same records. And, uh, um, you know, it was a complete fluke that I even met him. I was living in, uh, I think, Dawson City, Yukon when I first messaged him. Okay. And uh, I was doing this job and I, I just put together some like iPhone demos on the like saloon piano in the hotel I was uh, working in. And uh, I sent them to him and was like, Hey, is there anything we can do with this stuff? And he was rather impressed and thought I was a quirky fellow. And I didn't really know anything about him other than my friend Lane made a record with him that was very different from like what I was going for. And I just kind of like, shot in the dark sent him an email was like maybe i should make my first album because i'm getting old and i can't sustainably travel around canada as much as i was anymore you know i needed to kind of like stick my feet in the ground somewhere and like stay there for a little bit so i made this plan and i showed up on his doorstep and the first record i saw on his shelf was labor of lust by nick lowe and it was facing out on display and i was like oh i am in the right place 
Um, and from there we, we would buy a bottle of gin and, uh, like kind of figure out how we wanted each tune to sound. And, uh, the result was uh super turbo, which, you know, um, uh, for the most part has like, uh, 70s pub rock, 50s nostalgia, um, and a little touch of Prince. If you listen to three months without night has that kind of, uh, Prince balance. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I can. So you've uh, you've lived not all over Canada, but you've lived in a few parts. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I've lived in the extremes of Canada. It's the interior right. I've never really explored at all. So now you got to go to Calgary or Edmonton, or you can not. <laughs> I think I might skip it, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, what's it like to be making music in Canada? The the I, the people I've talked to on this show so far are mostly skewing American, uh, Vermonters in particular. So we've talked a bit about the the scene there, but uh, what's it like to be making music in Canada? Does it differ a lot from province to province? I think it does. Um, you know, uh, if someone asked me, you know, should they become a Canadian musician? I would say absolutely not. Never do it. <laughs> I, and why is that? Well, um... If you think about it just like geographically, um, Canada is a very big spread out country. It's very difficult to tour. It's very difficult Mm -hmm. to find the funds to do the things you want to do. Uh, It's so sparsely populated that it's hard to find fans, especially if you like are a very niche musician like I am. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you, you have to be able to find like a hundred to 300 people who are going to dig what you do enough to come see you and spend the, you know, 10 to $20 cover on doing it. Yeah. And in a bunch and in a bunch of far flung cities, if you're touring. Yeah, man, it's pretty crazy to think about, but like there aren't that many cities in Canada yet. Nobody, I don't know anybody in Vancouver. If I look at my like demographics, uh, which I try not to do, on like social media and shit. Nobody knows who I am out there. And, uh, Mm. you know what? People in the States will probably know who I am before I even ever make it to Vancouver. Yeah. The States is, States is easier, especially the coasts. Dude, where I am in Halifax, it's easier for me to just jump on a plane and go play in Europe than it is for me to go to Vancouver. Yeah. I mean, Vancouver is like a different country almost. It's so far, you know, like for me to just, book a tour of france is easier than going to bc like uh everybody i know who lives in halifax that's what they do i mean canada is really truly a country with a long broad back (laughs) pick an apple off the tree let's cook dinner what you want is all right with me Spend the night for company's sake But I haven't got the energy The buzz on garbage and take We beg up Just hang around on the floor Becca says she wants to be friends And I'm not looking for more Becca when you touch me, fire comes through 
purpose Still I only want to be friends Cause being in love is a boy You give me such generous looks And we offer ourselves without Our hearts on the hook This romance is just sun Through window shade And reminds me that our melancholy is weapons great Rebecca Just hanging around on the floor Oh, Rebecca says she wants to be friends And I'm not looking for more Rebecca When you touch me, fire comes through my pores Still I only Talking a little bit before about like the Canadian music industry, you want to comment on that a little bit? I mean, you, you were saying some stuff that was off the record, but uh, is there anything you you don't you don't mind uh, attributing to yourself? Absolutely, it's a very strange music industry, and I don't always have a lot of love for it. I have a lot of love for a lot of the musicians and some of the industry people, but the overall culture of music, I'm not sure if it's a global phenomenon because I can only speak to what. Like, you know, I, I have experience with, but, uh, it's a pretty cynical scene as far as I know now, you know, not a lot of people particularly interested in just, uh, trying to make a song as good as they can. Uh, everybody's hustling to try to get funding in a kind of like private public partnership system that, uh, doesn't really ever know when it's a the public part of the system and when it's the private part. And there's a lot of confusion about that. I think, uh, what everyone's role is in Canadian music. 
you know more about this than I do. So could you explain a little bit about this public-private partnership idea? Because I think anybody listening to this who isn't Canadian or, or even a Canadian musician isn't necessarily going to understand the full context behind that. Okay, cool. So the way most Canadian records get made is that there are uh, provincial funding bodies. That would be like a state funding body that uh, yeah. gives out money uh, to musicians Based upon their applications, I could say, I'm going to make a record uh, in 2022. And the goal of that record is to spend this much money. And this is what I'm going to get out of it. And I'm going to justify it to you. And then I'm going to make you uh, two professional sounding demos. um, And then you are juried by your peers. So the other members of that provincial uh, funding body will... Uh, at random get a smattering of recordings that they have to give a mark to and the best marks get fun funded. So that's how provincial funding works in uh, uh, the music industry in Canada. And then factor is a federal version of those. So, Hmm. and they uh, handle like federal funding and usually in much like they, they can fund a, a much uh, bigger projects like in upwards of like the tens of thousands of dollars range rather than like one to ten thousand dollar range and there's this big thing about canadian content cancon is super important so can you talk a little bit about cancon um cancon is what keeps the music industry alive uh in canada so uh, rather than being flooded with like American only content, uh, CBC, CTV, um, a lot of radio stations are required to fill so much of their airtime with Canadian only content. And, um, you know, it kind of gives an artificial boost in the arm to the Canadian music industry, which, you know, ha- is kind of a double edged sword. Well, it gives like, so much opportunity to bands that would never have, uh, you know, made it, um, on their own as Canadian artists. It also means, uh, I hate to say it, lots of pretty bad music, uh, gets a lot of airplay as well. We won't name names. Oh, of course not. But, uh, so you think it kind of encourages a little bit of mediocrity or it, it allows some, some artists to, make it through the gate that otherwise wouldn't yeah sometimes you know i wouldn't say in like a like i i i think that the good of those uh you know funding bodies and cancon well outweighs the bad uh that would happen if they didn't exist yeah i think that's probably true um i have been funded uh in the past by uh funding bodies factor in particular um, and lots of Newfoundland grants as well from the Music NL and Newfoundland Art Council when I lived there. I found they like Newfoundland Arts Council and Music NL were like the most art forward um, funding bodies I've ever worked with who like really cared about nourishing artists rather than kind of sometimes rather than feeling like these are like nourishing, uh, like uh, nurturing kind of entities they can often feel like gatekeeping entities and when that happens it kind of 
the system turns on itself. And I don't always feel like that's a great thing. Are you saying it's more the case or less the case in Newfoundland? I, I think it's it's less the case that they're um, uh, super gatekeepy. I find they're, they're um, very arts forward. There's a great songwriting tradition in Newfoundland that I think uh, kind of fuels their... Uh, perspective on music ron hines uh irreparably changed the relationship between newfoundland's general population and how they feel about like challenging songwriters and uh, i'm a big ron hines fan and uh i really appreciate that about the the nature of newfoundland they have like an incredible program they run every year called feast of cohen and it's Everyone in Newfoundland just sings the best Leonard Cohen songs uh, for like three nights in a row um, at the LSPU Hall. And it's uh, it's amazing. That's cool. And he wasn't even a Newfoundland guy. He was not a Newfoundlander. They just like songs a lot. Well, there's a strong music tradition in Newfoundland, is there not? Yeah, Newfoundland's like, um, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, it has much more of a natural culture of like, uh, you know, songs as like family entertainment songs as something that you would, uh, take great pride in having collected. It's also a storytelling culture much more than I think Nova Scotia and the Maritimes is. And what would you say about, uh, so you're, you're in Halifax now, right? I am. Yeah. So what can you tell me about the Halifax music realm? Halifax's music scene is fantastic. It punches well above its weight. Um, the musician. How, big, how many people? How many people are there in Halifax? I think five hundred thousand, maybe. Like the whole okay. Halifax regional municipality is about five hundred thousand people. That might be okay. the whole province. I don't really know. I think <laughs> maybe it's. I I think you're right. I think it's about a million people in the province, or a little under, and about half. Yeah. About 500,000 I started in counting them, but I lost count around like <laughs> a thousand. <laughs> um, You're not a very good census taker, are you? Absolutely not. The, yeah, it was Alex McNeil's unofficial census. Uh, <laughs> maybe one day I'll come to my census. Oh, that was a groaner. Dad do, jokes. Do you have any? Do you have any ha- like horns to honk or? Uh, like- I'm definitely gonna add something. <laughs> like I'll a trombone. Find, I'll find it. I'll find a descending trombone lick and, and toss it in there. <laughs> so that's about the size, and it's like it's growing at a substantial rate right now. I think they celebrated the the last two years were. Um, the first years in like, since like the sixties that Nova Scotia was growing at the same rate as like Ontario and Quebec. Um, so it's changing a lot. Um, you know, for better or worse, there's a lot of gentrification in Halifax at the moment, but, uh, you know, um, like everywhere. Yeah. It's pretty wild how much the city has changed even since I, uh, moved here like two and a half years ago. Oh yeah. Halifax's music is interesting. Um, you know, it has some like songwriter tradition. Uh but to me the thing that's most fascinating is the um like 90s music scene in Halifax was ridiculous. Even in the United States for a while it was known as like 
Canada's Seattle. Uh, we had lots of really cool bands that came out of Halifax, like Sloan and Thrush Hermit. Um, yeah. Other bands from the area, like Eric's Trip, which wasn't from Halifax, but uh, these bands were like getting signed to, uh, you know, uh, major labels in the United States and making yeah, for sure. Making music that did not sound like anything else that was happening in Canada at the time. Why is that, you think? I have no idea. I imagine that there were a couple of old guard at that time that really like knew their like 70s riff rock and mm. uh, they were producing these young guys and showed them some really great music. And, uh, you know, uh, Sloan is, has written... Uh, wrote some of my favorite, uh, uh, you know, guitar riffs in Canadian rock history. I think they're amazing. This is funny because prior to recording, you were, you were talking about how you couldn't think of, you could only think of one album from the 90s that you liked. Yeah, it, I did say that. And now that I've, I'm taking it back right now and saying that I do like Sloan quite a bit. Uh, you know, another 90s band I like a lot is... Uh, not from Halifax, but I love the Rio Statics, and I think you'd really like the Rio Statics. You ever listen? I to don't them? know the Rio Statics. I'm gonna get you an album called Whale Music, and I think you're gonna dig it a lot. Are they from Rio? No, they're. I think they're they're a Prairie band. Okay, Canadian. Uh, Canadian Prairie band, and they're very. They're no, maybe I think they're from Ontario. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Yeah, I well, think they're from like Barrie or something like that. Yeah, parts of Ontario are basically the prairies. Yeah, that's Let's be true. real. The western half. Yeah. And uh, some parts of it, I, I think, could possibly fall into the sea without anyone noticing. I think we would actually notice if a land, if parts of a landlocked province fell into the sea. <laughs> but, I, but I get your meaning. Um, so you've talked about influences and you've talked about a lot of older influences and but now you've just talked a little bit about 90s stuff. Is there any, you know, slightly more contemporary music that that influences you that finds its way into your own sound? Oof. Um I do have some obsessions and ones that would uh shock you. So uh, a lot of the newer stuff I listen to is all stuff that uh I, I've decided I like because it most authentically replicates old stuff, which I think is a bit of a problem. Uh, <laughs> Give know. me an example. Oh, um, like John McKeel uh, is a guy in Nova Scotia right now who has this really, really incredible uh, record called Morning Dove, I think. Mm. Um, and I love it. I think I like it's obsession worthy. But stuff that I really like that actually sounds contemporary is St. Vincent, I think is amazing. St. Vincent is good. She's like pound for pound, one of my favorite, most creative guitar players. I'd really like her yeah. to, to release just like a guitar record because I, I think she's totally brilliant instrumentalist and songwriter. She's one of the few female guitarists who has like a like a signature guitar that she designed that you can buy and and like it's the St. Vincent guitar. Have you ever seen it? Oh, it's super cool. I want one. I think it's one of the only guitars from like the 
2010s, 2020s, that guitar is never going to go down in value and it might end up becoming a collector's item because it's an innovation in style, shape, design, and sound in a way I don't think there's a lot of anymore. Yeah, I mean, I haven't ever played one, but they look cool and I like the concept, which is it's it's smaller, like it's got a smaller profile and you know which makes sense women tend to be physically smaller and guitars like most instruments are like designed to be played by men like yeah wide necks and like big heavy bodies i mean even you know arch tops obviously but like it's 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 hard for it's hard for women to to find like a like a comfortable instrument i know that was kind of her and she's also like a not the biggest person um, St. Vincent so and I, I think Ernie that's... Ball's decision to do that was tackling a type of like everyday misogyny. And I think that that's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah I think so too. So I, I think that's that context is interesting, but it's also like it's a nice looking guitar and it is kind of a, a fresh shape and a fresh, interesting uh, solid body guitar. I think that's cool. I think Anderson Pack is terrifying. Uh, in the way that I find like Stevie Wonder terrifying, like he's so talented, it hurts. Like uh, he spooks me that he's as good at everything that he does as he is. I think he's brilliant. Um, you know, uh, I think he's gunning for and will take like the D'Angelo crown uh, as like the iron like the R&B like equivalent of like the Beach Boys. He's freaking incredible. So Alex, I'd like to play another song from your from your record Super Turbo. Mhm. And this one is called Too Young to Be in Less Than 3, but I I have a feeling <laughs> you meant for it to be pronounced Too Young to Be in Love. Yes, um uh, I am a big Prince fan, and that was maybe a little homage to um, his use of uh, unorthodox lettering in his titles. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Let's give it a listen. Well, I sweat and it lays cold on my skin. I don't eat and I swear I'm getting thin. Well, my heart it goes cooing like a dove. Oh, Cupid, don't you know I'm too young to be in love? They go racing in the street When you're near Oh, they're bound to overheat Well, my wits Have been struck down from above Oh, Cupid, don't you know I'm too young to be in love Oh God of love, have mercy on me 
There's a lot of a lot of love songs on this album. A lot of lyrics that are focusing on romance. Uh, is there any particular reason for that? Is this just something that you're drawn to, or or is that absolutely? I, I went through a rapid fire succession of big breakups in about uh, the time that I was making it, uh, both before. I may started working on the record and then while I was working on the record, I went through another one. So, you know, that was what was on my mind at that moment. Sure. Um, since, uh, you know, uh, and it's funny that you should say that cause now I think my mind is turning away from writing about romance and trying to find lots of other things to write about. There's a great, uh, Gore Vidal, uh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not going to say quote because I'm just going to paraphrase it. Uh, like little thing about, uh, you know, all, all of his friends, uh, many of his friends wrote brilliant uh, novels right after their divorces and never wrote again, uh, though they consider themselves writers um, because they never learned how to write about anything but themselves. Mm. And uh, I don't really want to be a writer like that. Um, you know, uh, I don't want to write one, uh, divorce record and then, you know, never learn how to be an unselfish observer of the world. That's a good point. So that's actually what I was going to ask is, is, are there other themes you want to tackle in your songwriting? Like, do you have any in mind? Yeah. Um, I think... 
right now I'm writing a lot about Halifax and my feelings about uh, kind of the anxiety of turning 30. Mm. Kind of that third life crisis. I, I definitely feel that pretty hard. I have to say that like watching... Uh, it's something that, you know, you I've been talking about with some of our mutual friends of like watching friends get married and have children and, uh, you know, actually live their lives. And I have this kind of like Peter Pan fantasy that we were all going to like, you know, get jobs at uh, universities together or something like that, and you know, stay young forever. Uh, that kind of like has held on longer than I think it has for other people. I'm kind of trying to deal with turning 30 and watching the, uh, you know, kind of my time pass without really feeling much of a change in state has uh, created a lot of like uh, interesting thoughts for me. And I think that's kind of what my new record is going to be about. And then parts of it will be about, uh, dissatisfaction with you know uh, music industry elements and then parts of it are just going to be straight up um, just straight up bangers straight up fantasy uh, you know I, I, I love surrealist and absurdist uh, stuff I, I really like uh, you know songwriting that isn't necessarily about anything but that can give me a feeling of time and place without those things and i want to be able to do that do you go for at all the kind of words as sound like the idea of lyrics what i want to do right now yeah like the idea of lyrics that aren't really i mean they are words but the words are more about creating a timbre like that like so the voice becomes an instrument there's a um you know late beach boys record called surf's up um it has a great track on it called feel flows do you know that song i don't it's this wicked first line in it it's like uh i'm flowing enveloping missiles of soul and i mm. think about that all the time because it's just so perfect um yeah i mean uh right now uh, i'm very obsessed with uh the music that has that rather than uh uh gives you a direct feeling gives you an impression of something so i listen to a lot of the beach boys i really like van dyke parks a lot i listen to a lot of harry nielsen and randy newman and some of their stuff is straight storytelling and some of it is that other thing that we're talking about yeah i know the talking heads i know david byrne talked about doing that on some of his records with the talking heads just yeah right like like burning down the house uh, apparently, you know, the song sort of sounds like it's about a house burning, but it's 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 just nonsense. It's not pure nonsense either, which I think is kind of interesting. It's like a bunch of phrases that on their own make sense, but really are just about creating a particular timbre with the voice. His version of it reminds me much more of a Stax record than it does like uh, like an interest in like 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 more the highfalutin intellectualism that we were talking about. Like to me, burning down the house reminds me of like shotgun by junior Walker, you know, shotgun from junior Walker goes shotgun. Shoot it for me right now. Do the jerk, baby do the jerk. Now, like 
It doesn't yeah. have to make sense, but it makes the most sense. Yeah. I like that. I like that approach to to lyrics. And I, I also kind of like hearing the contrast between something that's more storytelling and something that's more more about sound. I don't know. I, I like contrast in music a lot. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, and I also like, um, you know, especially... I kind of like sound painting a little bit, but I also like the opposite of sound painting where you have a, a contrasting lyric to the to the sound that you've chosen that they create an interesting juxtaposition that almost the difference between the lyric was treat the way the lyric was treated and the music was treated uh, create their own meaning that's between uh, the difference between the two. Is there a song you can think of that kind of exemplifies that? Let me see if uh, I can think of one too. Uh, I mean, the obvious examples for me are all like a lot of Elvis Costello songs, like Oliver's Army, which I don't listen to anymore because it's a pretty problematic piece of music. But um, uh, what would be another one? Uh, his uh, his version of the Sam and Dave tune, "I Can't Stand Up for Falling Down," is another really great example of that. Hmm. Um where he took like a really somber lyric and then turned the BPM up to like 140 and then whined incessantly over top of it. <laughs> I feel like Ween made a whole career out of this. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I've been listening to so much Ween lately in preparation for like having this conversation with you. <laughs> Just cause you know, I'm a fan. Yeah, I know you're a fan and you like I associate you with Ween. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't know how to take that, but uh, I'm going to take it as a compliment. compliment. When I was I, I went to the gym and when I was showering afterwards, I was listening to uh, Voodoo Lady in the shower. That's a good one. Mm. Perfect. Love, perfect shower music. Yeah, because it's got that boogie, oogie, oogie. <laughs> So tell me about, uh, so your new record, can you remind me of the name? Export Ready. Is this going to be with The Great Ones? Yeah, so The Great Ones Don't Exist, which is another uh, kind of deep irony in my music. Uh, the Great Ones are whoever's available to me, uh, not on a per gig basis, but basically on a six month uh, basis. It's too hard keeping a band together lately, I find, so... Hmm. Um, you know, when Dale Murray and I kind of came up with a concept um, and we knew what I was going to do, we kind of thought it was funny to set it up as a band that really didn't exist. Where does the name come from? The great ones. Um, obviously, like it's like a uh, like a shallow, um, you know, pun about Alexander the Great and taking the the a attribute uh, the uh attribute of being great away from myself and putting it on the band how did i not notice that because to me it really reminded me of like the great old ones from lovecraftian lore oh that's interesting you've uh, just kind of spoiled it for me i'm that's... so sorry <laughs> no actually i like i like the uh i like i like there's a there's a joke there and i like it i appreciate it there's yeah. a nice little nice little twist it's but i still like this classic. idea 
I still liked the idea of you like on stage playing with these like cosmic squids, you know, these like <laughs> terrifying beasts from another dimension. I trained them all to play in my band. You got Yog Sothoth on keys. You've got the Cthulhu <laughs> playing drums. He's got Absolutely. a he's got a drum stick in each tentacle. <laughs> it just works for me. Cthulhu fucking shreds on the drums. I bet. Yeah, I mean, for sure. How could he not? He breaks all of his drum heads every show. It's like Keith Moon with an octopus beard. <laughs> so you may be sick of talking and thinking about this particular topic, but uh, how has the COVID-19 situation been treating you? I mean, uh, to not to harp on music industry things uh, too much, but... You know, um, all my gigs were canceled um, yep. and will not return other than like a few solo gigs here and there for the rest of the year. And I'm pretty aware of that. You know, I might be able to get some stuff together by October and that's really hard. Um, yeah. And also like thinking about other musicians whom I love and care about, um, you know, watching their revenue streams dissipate to nothing because... Uh, you know, the world of streaming made us give away our record sales for hopes that we would get more people, uh, out to shows. Um, mm -hmm. and now and that right there are, now no, there are sh no shows and now there are no shows. So I think that that's, um, you know, that's disappointing, you know, it, it, you know, the climate, uh, for working musicians who decide that that's what they want to do uh, as their primary source of income is pretty bleak. Yeah, it's it's depressing. And I've been talking about this with everyone I've been interviewing. Um, and everyone's kind of got their own personal situation going on. But it's it's just globally, it's a sad thing to have to witness. Uh, and it's sad, I think, for everyone. I mean, it's live music brings a lot of a lot of joy to people and it really kind of shits the bed to just have that taken away yeah but i think this is a wicked friggin opportunity in a lot of senses since there's no shows happening anyway um you know i think uh musicians uh need to take an active role in advocating for themselves and not just with the you know uh standard uh uh, Canadian and uh, American unions that we usually uh, are out there protecting us, but we need to decide to like not give our music up for nothing, not to uh, allow ourselves to be pushed into a corner uh, over and over and over again by middlemen who make profits off of the labors of musicians. So how do you do that? Right, you you have to create a united front, and nobody breaks the strike. Mm. I mean, they did it, uh, uh, you know, uh, with the embargo on playing music in Sun City in South Africa, or you know, in the 1930s, you had the RCA ban. There is um, a uh, a precedent set for musicians uh, drawing a, a line in the sand of what they are willing to accept as uh, their recompense for what uh, they offer the world. And what would be what would be like the, the terms and conditions? 
Like if you were if you were putting together the great uh industrial musicians of the world <laughs> the super wobblies oh certainly uh spotify and apple music would have to change the model for how streaming works yeah it's uh and i feel bad because i use them but at the same time i feel like a criminal well not so much when i listen to you know the the, the big major label acts um you know but when i'm listening to someone like you it's like Shit, man, I should really be paying for this. Like, and, you know, and this is something I'd like to maybe cover on this podcast at some point. I'm thinking of maybe doing like a series where I just rant on a topic. I kind of just want to rant on like the over availability of music these days and how it has really cheapened uh, people's kind of estimation of what music is worth. I just think that sucks. Spotify didn't democratize music it turned all music into music exactly that's exactly it so maybe i don't need to do this rant because um, you're kind of doing it for me but i feel the same it, way it's rather ter it's rather terrifying but uh the value of a song or what a song means to us or a song's lasting power its ability to transcend even a two-week period in your life is so diminished yeah. that um Individual releases are now treated as meaningless. I have people telling me all the time to stop releasing albums and do a single every three months. Mm. An album isn't just a delivery method. It's an art form. I agree. And I mean, it's you're right. It's not just a delivery method. It's it's a it's a medium in itself. Yeah. So, I mean, a record and I a record is a is a, a total work. Yeah, and I don't really see myself like I I don't want to be too pessimistic about it. For just for me, it's it's just never going to be a thing that I'm really interested in getting rid of. It's it's how I kind of piece together my my interests and how I uh, the medium I like to work in. I do kind of appreciate maybe a return to shorter records, like the kind of long EP. You know, where you have like six or seven songs. Like, I, I do appreciate that we've gotten away from the 1990s early aughts thing where every record has to have like 14 songs and a runtime of like 70 minutes. Oh, my God. They were ju they were just trying to reduce the amount of like tape cut on the floor. <laughs> and I truly think that that's one of the reasons why I don't like a lot of 90s music because... There, there's too like there is too much chaff in the way. <laughs> a lot of the time, yeah, no, there, like there definitely it. is. So, I mean, I appreciate getting away from that, but uh, I have nothing against singles per se, but I like an album. You know, I like hearing something where the sum is greater than the where sorry where the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Uh, there's something about that that I don't want to lose. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know what? Like, uh, I I released like two, excuse me, two singles before I put out a record. But like, I don't see myself doing away with the idea of collections of songs. It's a collection of songs, but it's also, it's a statement. Yeah, absolutely. It's a snapshot of your life uh over about two years exactly 
And, uh, it, you know, for me, a lot of my love of that kind of thing comes from it being a method I use for diary keeping. Mm. I can kind of look back on a record, even though I, I very much try not to listen to my own music and kind of uh, remember what it was like to be at that time and place. Is there anyone, maybe locally or maybe not locally, who you would really like to collaborate with musically but haven't had the chance? Um, Yeah, I think if I was to name anyone I would like to sing a song with, uh, it'd be Amelia Curran. Amelia Curran is a Newfoundland uh, singer-songwriter's and I, I used to know her uh, when I lived in Newfoundland a little bit. Like I'd see her at the ship and stuff when I worked there. And uh, I think she represents to me like some of the like best songwriting uh, out there in, in Atlantic Canada right now. And uh, I think that there's something really, really honest and earnest in her delivery. And... Uh, you know, I think it, that's something, you know, rare and something I very much appreciate. But now she's just somebody that you used to know. All right, folks. Well, this was uh, this week's episode of Quarter Rest with Joe Diaco, me being the host, Joe Diaco, and the interviewee sitting across me in virtual time space was Alexander McNeil of Alexander and the Great Ones. Alex, this was a lot of fun. It was a pleasure. You can find Alex's music on Apple Music, Spotify, and anywhere else? Uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, I didn't know it, but I also have uh, music on Google Play. And every once in a while, I'll get a purchase from a random like, uh, like a streaming service that I've never heard of before. So check it out. Listen to his music. Stream it if you want. But uh, if you if if you're a good person, you'll purchase it, which I probably shouldn't say <laughs> no! because I haven't purchased it either. <laughs> it, it also, it, uh, you can find my music under a rock hidden in a cave somewhere in <laughs> in the Appalachian Mountain regions, and only the worthy may draw it from the stone. <laughs> Alex, thank you so much for being on. It's my pleasure, Joe. It's good to hear from you again. And by golly, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much to Alex McNeil for agreeing to the interview and for letting us play his music. And a big thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. This episode was edited by me, with music written by me, with me on guitar, Brian Duda on bass, John Martin on keyboards, and Ian Kohler on drums. Have a good one, folks. Have a great week.